there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. Over 11 chapters, Paul writes much about the wonders of the gospel of God's grace and mercy leading up to the chapter that is our reading today, Romans chapter 12. Opening up with that word, therefore. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and I might kind of hear that the English word member originally meant simply a part of the body. Just as the body with many members, these members don't all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. John, thank you very much for that. Good morning again. We are in a series called Worshipful Lifestyles. Worshipful Lifestyles. If you were here last week, we did our first part. Uh, Today's the second one, and next week will be our final one. And what I thought I'd start off with this morning is just to recap a little bit what we covered last week. Now, in part, that's because if you weren't here, you get to hear it, and maybe you didn't get it on the podcast. But it's also a, a communications maxim that if you want to get people to get a message, you've got to tell them, tell them again, and then repeat it. Uh, so it's good to hear this a few times. So let's talk about uh, how we opened last week. And the big idea, I'm not going to ask you to remember it, hopefully you do, and if you're a note taker, of course, you've now got your notes out from last week, whether it's on your phone or on your, on your uh, notes, and, and you know that the big idea was worship is bigger than we think. That was our big idea that we explored last week. And the passage that we used was Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 3 to 14. And as we read that, we saw Paul repeated three times that we are created for the praise of God's glory, for the praise of his glory, that we're designed for worship. And we extended that to understand that worship actually is about our whole lifestyle. We looked at what happens during worship. How am I going, Dave? Is that sounding all right? No? I have learned, by the way, that if there's a sound problem, it's always my fault. Usually I haven't plugged something in. So can you all hear me? All right. Dave, people reckon they can hear me. Shall I just carry on? Yeah, I'll just, I think I'll just carry on. Um, anybody down the back? Rod, can you hear me? Yes, give me one. Excellent. All right, let's keep going. Uh, we also looked at what happens during worship, and we had three points. The first one was this, that we delight in God and he delights in us. Isn't that delightful? That's amazing. The second one was that we draw near to God and he draws near to us when we worship. And the third one was that God ministers to us and his enemies flee. Now, of all of those points, we spent some time in the third one, and I think they're, they're up there on the slide. So again, uh, I've got the references there. If you're a note taker, jot those down so you can explore them later. But the place we spent a lot of time in last week was on the third one, and we explored three words. We said that in worship, the sacred happens because we worship a holy God. We talked about the mysterious that happens in worship. And part of that is the transformation that can occur in our hearts and minds, the sacred, the mysterious, and transformation. And finally, last week, we unpacked briefly what the Hebrew and Greek words mean. So in English, we use the word worship, and we looked a little bit at two sets of words. The first one in Hebrew and Greek has this connotation of bowing down or prostrating yourself before the person you're worshiping. So we had this photo. The second one was quite interesting, and we're going to explore that more today. The second one, actually, uh, an example was in Acts chapter 24, where Paul was on trial, and he said, I worship the God of our fathers, but it could equally be translated, I serve. This idea that the, the word for worship in the Greek also can be interpreted as serving, 
It's an active word with actions and activities. And so last week, our summary was worship is bigger than singing together. It's not just singing in church. It's bigger than the whole service, which is a worship service. It's all of our lives. We're called to live a worshipful lifestyle. And so today we're going to look at that worshipful lifestyle across our work and our play. Now, what do I mean by that? Work and play. Uh, This is kind of where you spend a lot of your, most of perhaps your week. Not at home, not here on Sunday, but perhaps you work, so at your work. If you study, it's your study. If you are a stay-at-home mum, all of the stuff to do with your job at home. If you're unemployed, it's looking for a job. It's also the play part. So perhaps you're in a sports team or uh, you go out for a movie or you go out to dinner with people. All of that is wrapped up in what we're talking about today. And I want to suggest to you that we are called to live a worshipful lifestyle in all of those parts of our lives. And to unpack that a little bit, we're going to look at the passage that John just read to us. Because here in Romans 12 we'll see that Paul is calling us into a worshipful lifestyle across these areas of our lives as well. So let's start with verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, I figure that any part of the Bible that says this is your true and proper worship, that's a pretty good place to look at for a series on worship, yeah? A series on worshipful lifestyles. Before we get there, though, I want to start with this word, therefore. What is the therefore, therefore? You've heard that before. Uh, So Paul has just spent 11 chapters in this letter. So his letter to the Romans is written to the church of Rome. And he spent 11 chapters talking about this thing that he calls the gospel, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first the Jew and then the Gentile. And he gives insight into this mystery of how God continues to be faithful to his people, the Jews, but now he's incorporating this group called the Gentiles, which, by the way, is all of us. And just in chapter 11, he's talking to his Jewish audience, but but what he says essentially is this that even though everybody's been disobedient, you Jews have, so have the Gentiles, God is merciful and he sent Jesus for all of us. That's kind of where he ends. And then he says, therefore, in other words, in view of that incredible mercy that we've all been disobedient and yet God still gave us Jesus, in view of that, then he says, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. And this part of Romans, it sort of ushers in a transition from the first 11 chapters, which are are theology, into the next three or four, which are ethics. Now, theology is about how we understand God, and the next part, so including what we'll look at, are what do we do about it? The behaviours, the practical things that we do about it. So he's, he's just shifting in that verse. And he uses the idea of sacrifice. And we're not as familiar with that today. But to the audience he was talking to in the first century, they would have known that, well, what a sacrifice is, is you get an animal and you bring it as a dead animal. And it's killed. And the reason is that the blood from the animal represents life and it allows a reconnection between the person and God. And Paul's saying, well, we don't need to do that anymore because Jesus has provided that 
So the sacrifice we're now called to bring is a living one. Ourselves. The way that we live. And as Paul starts to talk about this, we move then into that phrase of true and proper worship. Now, it's a fairly well-known Bible verse, if you've been around church for a while, but you might know it as your spiritual act of worship. And I think I almost heard John want to say, as he was reading, there's almost this sense of, oh, that should say spiritual. No, it doesn't now. It says true and proper. And, and when that sort of thing happens in the Bible and translations move a little bit, it's often interesting to go back to the Greek and say, what's, what's the actual word that Paul used? And he uses this word called logikos. And Basically, what he's saying is this, that you, you could say, this is a worship that's worthy of thinking beings, not of, not of the dead animals. This is worship worthy of us as thinking beings. Or worship that is reasonable. Or the P. Scott translation, which is this. This is the logical way to worship, to live a worshipful lifestyle. That's what Paul's saying here. In view of God's mercy, the logical thing to do is to offer our whole lives in a worshipful lifestyle. I'll read two other translations because this, this is a really important verse for us. Uh, the Good News translation says this, and I, we might have that up here. Yeah, I think that's the Good News translation. So then, my friends, because of God's mercy to us, I appeal to you, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and to pleasing him. As we go through our work and our play, we are to be dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship you should offer. Or the message paraphrase, many of you know that's a really interesting uh, way of looking, modern way of looking at the Bible says this. Here's what I want you to do. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. So what he's saying is this, worship and this idea of sacrifice and offering, it's not a one-off anymore. It's an ongoing thing. It's not about singing on Sunday. It's about how we live our lives. It's a beautiful picture of living a worshipful lifestyle. And I lived, uh, many years ago, I lived in Holland. And uh, I met a guy there who I've never forgotten. He had a really big impact on me. And he came along to a meeting that was organised by the young adult group that I was in and the leader brought him in just as a friend. And two things continue to stand out in my mind about this guy. The first is there was a tangible radiance about him, a visible sense that this guy has Jesus in his life. It was incredible. Now, I am not a good judge of handsome, uh, he was not, I don't think, handsome. He wasn't anything in particular. I couldn't even describe to you what he looked like. All I remember is this sense of he, he kind of glowed mysteriously as he talked about his life. And the second thing I remember is this, because often when you hear these stories, you're like, oh, okay, well, what did he do that was amazing? He was really ordinary. There was no story from him about some miraculous healing or some missionary journey or, or anything. He just talked about getting on the tram, going to work, talking to his colleagues, getting on the tram, coming home to his family. That was his life. It was a normal life. Perhaps you can relate to that. I can relate to that. It was a normal life. And yet, this guy, 20 years plus later, is a guy who sticks out in my mind is, I know 
that he was living a worshipful lifestyle in all of that because when he talked, he just glowed about this relationship he had with Jesus. So for Paul, having given us this direction to use our bodies as a living sacrifice, he then goes on in the rest of the passage that we looked at to explain, well, what does that mean? What does it look like? He gives us some practical tips. And the interesting thing is, he starts off with our mind. So he's telling us about our bodies as a living sacrifice, and he starts off with our mind. Because he's going to give all this great guidance about do this, do that, here are the things you should do actively with your body. But he says, before that, I need to tell you a really important thing. It's about your mind. We have to live lives of discernment, testing and finding out what God approves, hearing from the Holy Spirit about what God's will is for us, his good, pleasing and perfect will. The New Living Translation of verse 2 says this, Don't copy the behaviours and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, not so coincidentally, because I know that God always provides things in a timely fashion, just recently I've come across some information about how our minds work, the sort of uh, physiological, biological way that our minds work. Now, you might know this from high school biology. And the idea is that when we learn, uh, something happens in our minds and it starts to connect some dots. So that at a certain point where the same input happens, your mind registers, here's the way I feel or think or what I should do about it. So you might know that, and there's words called synapses and all sorts of other things if you want to get into the biology. See some of our doctors and our surgeons nodding. I must have got something close to right. Um, the thing is, as I understand it, once those pathways are connected, they can't be undone. But they can be replaced. So they can't be undone, but they can be replaced. In other words, it seems biologically that we can renew our mind by replacing those pathways. Now, what's an example of this? That was perhaps a bit theoretical. So I want to I give an example of this, and I've got a prop, so bear with me while I get my prop. My daughter told me I look ridiculous doing this this morning. And I said, well, I'm just your dad. How many of you can ride a bike? Yeah, almost all of you. Do you remember learning to ride a bike? Yeah? So you learn to ride a bike, and here's a critical thing about riding a bike. I had to check there was right space on this for the stage. When you learn to ride a bike, the trick is this, that as you're going along, if you want to balance yourself and turn left, you turn the handlebars left and the wheel goes left. If you want to go right, you turn the handlebars right, and the wheel goes right. There is on the infamous and wonderful YouTube a video of a guy that I'm going to tell you about, and I didn't have time to play this video, but I would love to have. His mates gave him a bike. The difference with this bike was that when you turn the handlebars left, the wheel went right. Have you guys seen this? When you turn the handlebars right, the wheels went left. And they said, there, mate, give that a go. And he's like, oh, OK, yeah, I can figure that out. And in my mind, it's clear. If I go left, yeah, oh, no worries. He got on, couldn't write it. Impossible. 
Just could not do it. But this guy was kind of a persistent guy. So for the next, get this, eight months, he spent five minutes a day trying to ride this backwards bike. And after eight months, he found that the pathways in his head that had connected, when I get on a bike, I turn left to go left. He'd finally managed to replace them with, I turn right when I want to go left. He had renewed his mind. This video, I have to give you this if you're writing notes, it's called The Backwards Brain Bicycle. The Backwards Brain Bicycle. It's about seven minutes of insight and entertainment that you'll enjoy. And one of the things you see him do is he actually brings this bike to universities around the world and he says to people, I'll give you a couple of hundred bucks if you can come on stage and ride this bike just across the stage, just a few metres. And all these people try, nobody can do it. No one can do it because our minds... Once that pathway's wired in, it takes a while to renew them. So I want to suggest to you that God can rewire our minds supernaturally. Absolutely. But one of the things I think he uses is what he's given us. And if we want to renew our minds, it takes some time. It potentially takes time falling off and getting on again and falling off and getting on again and doing things over and over again as we try and renew our minds with what God's asking us to replace those old pathways with. So if you're an action person this morning, I have a challenge for you. I'm going to call it the Backwards Brain Bicycle Bible Reading Challenge. Let me just say that again. I couldn't get all Bs, but it's close, right? The Backwards Brain Bicycle Bible Reading Challenge. What about if you and I were to read for the next eight months, five minutes a day, the same chapter or the same verse that God lays on our hearts. I wonder what renewing would take place as God replaces something in us with something of his scripture. Just an offer. Let's keep going. Living a worshipful lifestyle. We've talked about renewing our minds. Paul goes on in verses three to eight to talk about gifts. And he says... We all have gifts. You all have gifts. And we use them to serve others. Sometimes we see the impact of that serving and sometimes we don't. In fact, frequently we don't see the outcome of when we've been serving others. Now, we're talking about a broad spectrum here about your work, your play. There are so many things we could do. I just want to give you two examples of someone who's served, used their gifts to serve humbly in their workspace, if you like. The first one is a guy called Jared Manley Hopkins. He was a teacher. He was a part-time poet. His poems were not famous at all during his lifetime. Yet his humble creativity has blessed many. He's created some magnificent poems. And I thought, we don't do this very often, but I'm going to read a poem to you. I'm going to read out one of his poems that happens to be one of my favourite poems. Have a listen to this. This is a man using his gifts. It's called As Kingfishers Catch Fire. And I've got it up on the screen, I think, so you can follow along. As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim in roundy wells, stones ring. Like each tuck string tells, each hung bell's bow swung, finds tongue to fling out broad its name. 
Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Deals out that being indoors, each one dwells. Selves goes itself. Myself, it speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me. For that I came. I say more. The just man justices, keeps graces, that keeps all his goings graces, acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ. For Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. I probably didn't do that justice in reading it, but it is a spectacular poem. Note takers, Jared Manley Hopkins, as Kingfishers Catch Fire. He actually invented a style of poetry with that poem. This is a guy who is an English teacher and in his spare time, English teacher at work, in his play spare time, he's writing poetry like that, which has blessed people through the last century. Let me give you another example, because perhaps you're not into poetry or you're not a, a poem person. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking with a mum, and this mum was sharing with me uh, that she gets to cook for her family every night. It's part of her job, gets to cook every night for the whole family. And she said she had come to see that routine as a way she could serve worshipfully. I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, she now sees that daily chore, not as a chore, but as an opportunity to serve her family something healthy, to have an impact on their lives. And not only that, but to create an atmosphere over the dinner table where the whole family gets to come together and talk and discuss and enjoy each other's company. Her mind's been renewed to see that the daily serving of her family is a worshipful part of her lifestyle. And I thought, that is a beautiful story. I'm going to share that as part of this message. That act and attitude of how we go through things in our lives has a big impact. Now, you might not be a poet. Maybe you don't have to cook dinner every night. You have other gifts. What are they? How are you using them at work and at play? Can I encourage you that if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. That's probably more for the church gathering, but perhaps somewhere else. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, many of you are teachers, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, mercy do it cheerfully. Each of us has gifts that we can use as part of this worshipful lifestyle and we're called into doing that. And there's an attitude that we can have as our minds are renewed to say, you know what, this is something I can bless others with. I want to finish briefly here talking about serving, um, looking at verse 11 in the passage. And I actually want to sort of bring us a little bit back to the, the church context because it's, it's still about serving but, but about church. And it relates to the rest. Verse 11 says this, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, what's Paul saying here? He's talking about serving being part of worship. 
And I've had a few conversations with people over the last year or so, and this question seems to come up sometimes that, you know what, I can't serve at church because I just want to be able to worship. There's this idea, perhaps, that there's, these two things are polar opposites and you can't do both. I just want to suggest that maybe Paul's saying something different here. Maybe Paul's saying here that serving's not a burden, but a beautiful part of worshipping. Maybe he's saying that when you are rostered on to things on a Sunday morning, that's part of your worship. Maybe he's saying that when you are cooking a meal like that story I gave before, that act of service, it could be seen as a chore. Actually, we can see that differently. Yes, it's repetitive, but what's being provided is something beautiful. Eugene Peterson says this, Worship is an act that develops feelings for God. It's not a feeling for God that's expressed in an act of worship. Let me move on to the last point that I've got this morning. We've talked about living a worshipful lifestyle by renewing our minds, by serving humbly, using our gifts. And then as we look at the final part of this passage in Romans, verses 14 to 21, we see that Paul's talking about living a worshipful lifestyle by loving our neighbours and our enemies. Now, we read it earlier, and in fact, I mean, Romans is just an incredible letter. If you're going to take on that uh, backwards brain bicycle Bible reading challenge, uh, maybe Romans, even Romans 12 is a good place, or Romans 8, but Romans is a great place. There's so much in this. I just want to pull out one, two verses as we look at this particular idea that Paul is sharing with us about worshipful lifestyle. And it's these, verse 14 and 15. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. What does that look like for you? What does it look like for me in our, in our work and play spaces? I wonder if we could be excited for that person who has good news this week. Let's just think about this week. Let's make it really tangible. This week, someone comes with some sort of good news. Let's be excited. Celebrate with them. Take some time. Maybe write them a note. Give them some chocolates to celebrate. Or what about if there's somebody who's unpopular or struggling or sad? How about if we made time for them? That would be loving those people. Let's go on to some things that are a little bit harder. How about if we bless that guy in the office who's really annoying? What if we say, this week I'm going to bless my boss who makes my life really difficult? Church staff team, plenty of notes right there. Bless my boss who's making my life really difficult. Let me put it this way. As we go through life, we will feel times of injustice, of unfairness. Uh, I can think of lots, for instance, on the sporting field, where and I'm not trying to look at all you basketball guys, sorry, I just realised I looked at a few of the basketball guys. For any sporting field, and you feel that was unfair. Or even worse, maybe it's your child on the sporting field, and you think, that was unfair towards my child. What do we do in those situations? What if we decided to bless that person who seems to be making things unfair. Bless and not curse. This is the point where we want to remember Romans 12, 14 to 21. In those situations this week where we feel like that is not fair. Something's being done that is not right. We want to shift our minds into that.
That was great emphasis, Kyle. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> now, Romans chapter 13, 14, and 15 carry on into what Paul's trying to unpack for us here in terms of what we can do as we're living this worshipful lifestyle at work, at play. And I want to encourage you again, I'm going to try and get into the habit of doing this when I speak. You know, we get to speak when we preach for 25, 30 minutes. But there is so much that we can read and learn in God's Word during the week. And so I want to try and give you snippets to say, if God's speaking to you on this, go and do that. Here's something as an option. Romans 13, 14, 15, Paul continues this idea of here's how to live a worshipful lifestyle. I encourage you to have a look at it this week. Ask God to speak to you about that. Because our big idea this morning was that we are living a worshipful lifestyle. We've looked in Romans 12 where Paul says, in view of the mercy, if you know Jesus Christ, in view of the mercy that God has shown you and I, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That's our true and our proper worship. I find it exciting. You know, we finish this morning and we get sent out. Not to wait another week to come and worship, but we get sent out into a worshipful lifestyle because we are made for the praise of God's glory. We get to do this with God day in and day out. I want to pray for us. just want to encourage you this week. Have a look at Romans 12. See what God's speaking to you to do this week in his grace and his mercy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, oh, it's good to be in your presence. Thank you for this time together. I thank you for the mercy, the good news, the gospel that you've sent to us that we know that Jesus is salvation for all who believe in him. And in view of that mercy, Lord, could you help us Renew our minds. Help us to grasp this idea of offering ourselves as living sacrifices. That each day, each step that we take is a journey with you where we can be for the praise of your glory. We can serve others. We can love our neighbours and our enemies. So would you help us, Lord, right now as we think about this message, as we think about what you're saying, lay on our hearts what it is that you want us to walk in this week? Is it just your grace and your mercy and a knowledge that my week is tough, but my God is with me and I can worship him just by thanking him? Is there some person, Lord, that you want us to speak to this week? Is there time you want us to put aside and make available? Help us to understand how to renew our minds that we might love you better and more importantly, know your deep, deep love for us. Father, we thank you. May we live for the praise of your glory. Amen.